Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Lord Baelish. Peter, please. Are you heading to listen to Binge Mode? I'm going to the Irie to see your Aunt Lysa the Veil. She's sensitive, so I feel I feel compelled to tell you that Binge Mode features adult content. Good, good. Very graphic at times. Good. I know how she is around Moon Doors, so wanted to warn you just in case. And now, here's Binge Mode. And my sister, you know what they did to her? I'm asking you a question. I've heard rumors. <laughs> so have I. The one I keep hearing is that Gregor Clegane, the mountain, raped Elia and split her in half with his great sword. I wasn't there. I don't know what... If the mountain killed my sister, your father gave the order. Tell your father I'm here. And tell him the Lannisters aren't the only ones who pay their debts. Hello! And welcome to Binge Mode. Woo! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. And joining me today, now that he's finished melting down the sword of his enemies, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Well, the original weapon was absurdly large. Absurdly large. Absurdly large. Jason. Yes. For 40 years, Tywin has tried to teach Jamie. And for 30 episodes, we have tried to teach Binge Mode subscribers. If they haven't learned by now, good news, we've got 30 more chances because we are at the halfway point, guys. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We are deep diving one episode at a time, and we are at the midway mark. Requisite spoiler warning. We will be going deep on the details from the show and the books from this season and beyond. So calculate the sum of your ambitions because it's time to break down the season four premiere, Two Swords. Jason, yeah. let us speak truth here. Let us offer a brief refresher sure. on what actually happened in season four, episode one. Let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road. In King's Landing, Tywin Lannister has Ice, the Stark family Valerian greatsword, melted down. He has two new swords forged out of it, one for Jaime and one for King Joffrey. Tywin wants Jaime to quit the Kingsguard so he can be Lord of the Rock. It's not, it's, your outlook is not great, guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Kingslayer refuses. Oberon Martell, Red Viper of Dorne, arrives in the capital, sneaks in, really, ostensibly for the royal wedding, but actually he's on a mission of revenge. Tyrion finds him holding court in Littlefinger's brothel and stabbing Lannister men. Sansa is sad. She's Mm -hmm. depressed even. Mm -hmm. She's been spending a lot of time in the Godswood where she meets Ser Dantos, the drunken fool you remember from season two. Uh, She saved his life. Quite a vomiter. Big time vomiter. Very (laughs) drunk. He gives her a necklace. Um, One of Cersei's spies overhears Shay and Tyrion arguing in his chambers. Uh Uh-oh. She goes to tell Cersei. Kyburn. Growing closer to Cersei over this time. Meanwhile, relations between Jamie and Cersei, quite frosty. Um, Olena and Marjorie getting ready for the purple wedding that's looming. They're picking out jewelry. Uh, Brienne comes to call on them and they chat about Renly and various other things. 
my word, aren't you marvelous? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Elena's just the best. Yeah, so good. Meanwhile, over in Slaver's Bay, Danny's dragons are growing strong and willful. Drogon. With a little, little yeah. snap, little teenage <laughs> snap at mommy. Don't touch my food. Meanwhile, new hot Dario. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Michael. He looks great. Yeah. And Grey Worm have uh, slipped into degenerate gambler status. But Dario also has a sight set on something else. Oh, Lessons right. and love. Danny's army marching toward Marine, the largest city in Slaver's Bay. And much to Danny's chagrin and horror, the sight of hundreds of crucified slaves. This enrages her, as it should, and it really crystallizes her mission. Up in the north, Tormund and the Wildlings are preparing for the assault on Castle Black. Uh, They meet up with a party of Thens who've been raiding the countryside independently. Man flesh. Man flesh, marbled and fat. (laughs) Uh, They are cannibals and they come up <laughs> to Dormund with a big sack of meat. At Castle Black, meanwhile, John's recuperating from his wounds. He and Sam catch up on recent events. Then John has to go appear before a tribunal to testify on how he escaped the wildlings. He warns them about Tormund's raiders and the coming attack. On the road. Road trip. Yeah. Arya and the Hound come across an inn. They're hungry, but what to do? Because there are five men and five horses. And oh, guess what? One of those men, Polliver. The dude who stabbed Lamy and took Needle from Arya. Arya wants her revenge, and boy, does she get it. Yeah. Pulling Needle off of Polliver's body and then stabbing him through the throat with it, parroting his lines back to him so as good. she is killing him. Yeah. Jason, I, I gotta say, I am famished. <laughs> I think I'll have two chickens. You wanna die for some chickens? Somebody will. All right, Jason. Yes. If we want people to follow us, we have to become a part of their world. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is the new normal. Searching for it. Accepting it. Fearing it. The war is, quote, over. A little mop-up to do. It's over. Jason, listen. You clearly have not gazed upon the new statue right. in the Red Keep Gardens of <laughs> Joffrey standing over a slain yeah. wolf. Because if you had, you know the war is over. It's over. He took care of it. He saved the city. Yeah. He's happy to tell you all about it. It's museum quality. But obviously there is a lot to do here. And in yeah. this, this moment of adjustment and an attempt to reacclimate, a lot of characters are facing a question. Is it possible to return to the status quo. Do they even want to? Some characters are, are striving for that comfort that can only come from familiarity, and others are so damaged, so broken, or so aware of yeah. the threats that exist, whether they be Wildling Walker or other Westerosi army, or something closer to home. They are basically rejecting the idea of normalcy yeah. entirely. So so let's start with Tywin and Jamie, yeah. who are attempting to discover a bond, rediscover a bond that yeah. may no longer exist. Yeah, Tywin and Jamie. Jamie, you know, is ready to settle into Kingsguard mode. Uh, his son, King Joffrey, is going to reign now. Things have been very dangerous. Great kid. Great what, a, kid. what a wonderful <laughs> young man. Boy. Uh, meanwhile, Tywin is like, Jamie, time to get down to the business of being 
my heir. He wants Jamie to quit the Kingsguard. Uh, can you quit the Kingsguard? Actually, yeah, there's a there's precedent. precedent. There's precedent. Remember when we stripped Sir Barrison of his cloak for really no reason? There's well-defined precedent yeah. that we created 12 seconds ago <laughs> in shameful fashion. Right. Jamie, act like my heir. Get married. Have kids. Sit at Casterly Rock so we don't have to pass the seat off to some random Lannister cousin or Kevin with an A or Lancel. Or God some forbid. dumb hole with a fat ass. So best part of this, we get to hear Tywin say rule again. Yeah. Rule. Yeah, he's got, he rolls it. <laughs> Jamie, of course, doesn't want this. He wants to be close to Cersei. He wants to be close to Joffrey, his son. He wants to be close to his kids. He wants to protect them as best he can, you know. Um, and this is really the most, the, fighting has been the most normal part of his life. The most, the thing that he identifies about himself. It's what he does well. It's when he's doing this, all the the sneers of Kingslayer, all those things, that all goes away. It doesn't matter. Um, but that's been taken away from him now. He's got this uh, gold hand. It's actually, excuse me, it's gold plated over steel. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and that sort of, you know, that dampens the joy of receiving a fine, fresh forged Valerian steel sword. There's that moment when he try, he's trying to put it in the scabbard, you know, after he's looking at this is, oh, it looks fresh forged. Wow. And then he's, thank you so much, father. And he tries to slip it into the scabbard and Tywin has to hold it. And then, of course, Tywin, you know, has to say, you know, you'll never be as good. This is as a Thanks, kind of, dad. to kind of, you know, as a precursor to broaching the subject of quitting the, the Kingsguard. No. But as long as I'm better than everyone else, Jamie says, they, you know, that little bit of Kingslayer bravado that still exists there. But he's he's struggling with the change. Uh, and he wants to embrace another change. He doesn't want to be the Kingslayer anymore. He he had that moment of kind of unburdening himself with Brienne. And he's trying to live that way mm-hmm. as a more as Jamie, not the Kingslayer, as a human being, a person. And this is part of why. He wants to be around his family. He hasn't been with them, not in the way that he's wanted to. And now he wants to try. He has spent the last two seasons trying desperately while covered in his own shit, literally sacrificing his limbs to get back, to get back to his family, to get back to King's Landing, to get back to his position, to his sense of what is normal. And the second he does that, what greets him? His father saying, actually, why don't you head back that way and do something else with your life? How must that feel to him? That must be terrible. This is the thing. This, this, the idea of the King's Garden of King's Landing is the only thing that kept him sane, basically. And then, compounding that confusion and that insult and that basically lack of understanding is the, the the moment where his father is telling him basically be the monster people think right. you are be that right? guy and and Jamie says who cares you know what they call me right right Kingslayer oathbreaker man without honor now you want me to break another sacred vow and Tywin this is an interesting insight into his character as well because he's he's like a Offended truly by Jamie's pushback here. He's yeah. wounded by Jamie because what is Jamie's rejection, however well founded it might be and well reasoned it might be in his own mind, is a rejection, period, of the one thing Tywin cares about most in the yes. world the family yeah. name, legacy. 
saying I don't care about being your heir, I don't want to go to Casterly Rock to rule, I don't want to get married, I don't want to have children, is akin to saying I don't care about your legacy, I don't care about the family name. And Tywin launches into a little mini uh, lecture. You know, for 40 years I've tried to teach you, if you haven't learned by now, you never will. Go. If serving as a glorified bodyguard is the sum of your ambitions— Go. Being in the King's Guard is like a really high honor. Yeah. That's that's kind of bullshit there. I suppose you'll want the sword back, Jamie says, right? Yeah. What is his what does his father say in response to this? Keep it. A one-handed man with no family needs all the help Brutal. he can get. Tywin went to war to get Jamie back, right? He was he was going to war to get Tyrion back, who he doesn't yeah. even care about, right? As he says to Cersei, what would I do to get Jamie back? anything and now he has him back and he's that quickly willing to essentially disown him and cast him aside because they are on such different pages about what matters what's normal now after this war right jamie doesn't just have the new sword he doesn't just have this disagreement with his father he has the new hand kyburn shouts a hook would be more practical (laughs) right more elegant i think (laughs) cersei loves this but the thing is, Cersei might not love Jamie anymore. Right. This is much more painful than Tywin disowning it. Very troubling. Because this is what kept him alive is the idea of, I'm going to get back to Cersei, I'm going to get back to Joffrey, I'm going to get back to Marcel, I'm going to get back there. And then Cersei is very chilly towards him. Frigid. Downright N- frigid. Not the same. He, uh, you know, as, as uh, many couples that are going through <laughs> troubles might do, she's been uh, hitting the wine pretty hard uh he like he raises this with her you've been been drinking more than you know than you used to and she goes yes why hmm let's see and then she just goes through everything (laughs) Everything. that's you know like um this is tough for jamie equally tough his son shows up and basically shits on him (laughs) like where were you oh yes you know when i was saving the city and winning a great victory over Rob Stark and everyone while you were captured and shitting your pants in a cage, you know, whatever he says. Here is Jamie trying to be a family man. The best he can. He can't really do it, but he's trying to do it in a way right. that the circumstances allow. Um, and at every turn, he's rebuffed. His father disowns it. His son is like, fuck you, you <laughs> helpless doddering man uh cersei wants almost nothing to do with him and uh you know while not admitting that she's been uh banging cousin lancel that you can feel that there is a wedge there um and then just the way that joffrey mocks him as she as he's going through the book of brothers and you know like uh says you know i don't see you in here right (laughs) rather short entry right imagine your son saying this to you (laughs) I don't see you in here. Another shot. And then uh, Jamie says, well, you know, there's still time. Is there for a 40-year-old knight with one hand? How can you protect me with that? Spits, spits out the words almost. And you can see Jamie just shrink, crumble under the shame that he's not this guy. He can't even pretend to be the swaggering knight anymore because it's obvious to anyone who would look at him go like, well, he can't do it anymore, you know? He has a bit of clarity now about right. who he is. Like, it's not just that the, the the reader or the viewer or Brienne is seeing him differently. He's come to see himself differently. Yeah. And he's now looking back. He's looking at his life on that page and saying, 
he's taking stock of it. He's weighing right. on the scales what he's done. And now that he finally wants to do better, right. he's like, can I? Right. right? Now because that of he's the hand. The, now that he's the good person. Right. Ostensibly, he can't do anything about it. He, 40 years of arrogance. Right. And now what? what is there? Yeah. There's doubt. Yeah. How about Tyrion? Oh, man. How about Jamie's baby bro? Because he is he is facing a new normal of his own. Yeah, Tyrion's trying to reinvent himself as kind of the good bureaucrat, you know, just doing his job. He's out there on the on the King's Road waiting for a party from Dorne with Bronn and Pod, and they're kind of reading the sigils. And I love the part where, where Bronn looks kind of squints. He goes, yellow balls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real student, real student of the realm. Yeah, and he, you know they're waiting for um, for Prince Doran to arrive, and Brown says, "If he's so damn important, how come they sent you to meet him?" And that cuts uh, pretty deep, really. Um, and Tyrion makes sure to tell Bronn about the bad blood between the Martells of Dorne and the Lannisters. You know, a little small, uh, small detail of Lannister men killing Princess Elia and the children. Blah blah blah. blah. You know, these things happen. Um, and you know, Tyrion says, I, "I happen to be an accomplished diplomat." Is you know, this is Tyrion's new normal—just the workaday guy. Okay, I'm not going to get casterly. I, I realize that um, things are very dangerous here. My sister is trying to kill me. Probably my nephew too. Let me just try and do my job, you know. Um, and part of his new normal is trying to be a good husband to his teenage bride, Sansa, who is fairly very depressed because her whole family has been destroyed and her family seat is in smoking ruins. Won't even need her lemon cakes anymore. Yeah, I mean, she's and she's trying to, uh, you know, she's survived so much. And now she's at the point where it's not so much survival, it's how do I make a life of whatever this is now, you know? She, um, she's kind of vacillates between this kind of like dead-eyed march of putting one foot in front of the other and just basically giving up. She says, like, I lay awake all night staring at the canopy thinking how they died. Do you know what they did to my brother? How they sewed his dire wolf's head onto his body and my mother? They say they cut her throat to the bone and threw her body into the river. Um, just <sighs> really, really, really painful stuff. And then so how does she deal with it? She's just taking walks in the godswood. Not to pray. Right. That's the agonizing yeah. part. That I mean, it's all agonizing. But when, you know, how have we thought about Sansa this whole right. time? She's the one we want so much more out of than we're getting right. because naive. she is naive. She is young. She is willful. She is misguided. She's foolish. She wants to be the princess in the fairy right. tale. And part of that is the ritual of yeah. being like a proper young lady. And one of the parts of the, that, that ritual in her mind is prayer. Right. And so when she says, you know, she, she asks basically for Tyrion to pardon her so that she can go to the godswood. He says, of course I hear prayer can be helpful. He's just trying to like go right. through yeah. the, the motions yeah. here of like attempting whatever support you need. In yeah, yeah. capacity. And she says, I don't pray anymore. It's the only place I can go where people don't talk to me. Oof. It's a simple Thing. I don't pray anymore, but it represents a complete shift yeah. in her philosophy, her expectations, what she is even allowing herself to believe is possible. She doesn't believe in anything anymore yeah. other than despair and yeah. disappointment. She is completely defeated. Yeah, even in the darkest days of the war, she clung to some kind of hope that Rob would come. Somebody would come and rescue her somehow. She believed enough as recently as the Battle of the Blackwater yeah. to say no to the Hound yes. because 
I'm going to say I got other options. I got other options. options. She told told Littlefinger, actually, I'm going to stick it out here. Right. She's always looking for the next best thing. And now she's out of And now she has nothing. Loras Until Dantos comes up. Loras is off the table. Her family is dead. What does she have? Nothing. It's very, very tough. And then there's Shay and Tyrion. Shay wants to essentially like shack up. Let's have a life together. Have you forgotten me? Yeah. Do you know how long it's been? She says, but you know, it is exceedingly dangerous for her. And she, and it absolutely drives Tyrion crazy that she can't see it. Uh, and he tries to tell her, you know, my nephew, the king wants to murder me. My wife hates me because my father murdered her family. Oberyn Martell wants to murder everyone whose last name is Lannister. Shay, we can't just be playing house in my chambers all day. This is a dangerous, dangerous place. And she doesn't see it. Another man who is facing peril because of a forbidden love, Jon Snow. Part of Jon's new normal is life without Rob. This is low-key one of the most kind of tantalizing and powerful moments in the episode. Jon has found out that Rob is dead, and he's talking to Sam. This is basically a confirmation of the thing that Jon grappled with and feared back in season one when he was debating whether to abandon his post right. in the Night's Watch and go join Rob's fight. He made his choice after Maester Eamon said, you, you basically just, you have to make a decision to live with the consequences. Right. That's this moment. Yep. He is also dancing between normals right. in his return to Castle Black. You know, on the one hand, he is trying to get back in the good graces. He's he's on trial. Right, essentially. Right? He's, he's on got probation, you know. Alistair Thorne, who fucking hates him. Right. And John's basically like, well, he's literally been looking for an excuse to kill me since the moment I showed up. Right. And now he actually has a legitimate right. one. Mr. Eamon. Yep. And new arrival, Jano Slint. Human <laughs> garbage. Yeah. And, you know, on the other hand, John is trying to focus on the new stakes. You know, right. he just got back from life beyond the wall. He knows about the walkers. Yeah. He knows about Mance's army. He's he's basically saying, okay, let me back in. Let me get back to my old life here and be a part of this order again. Also, let's forget all that stuff about me laying with a wildling right. and killing corn half hand and corn half And small stuff right. because uh, there are walkers story about right. there's an army amassing on the wall, right? And he uses the term free folk while he's while he's saying this and right. he pounce, oh, pounce oh. on it. Free folk? Listen to him. He even talks like a wildling now. He says, I, I talk like a wildling. I ate with the wildlings. I climbed the wall with a wildling. I lay with a wildling girl. You admit to breaking your vows. I yeah. do. But. Right. But. While we're sitting here debating which laws I broke, a man marches on the wall with an army of 100,000 wildlings, right? And fools like Janison, they don't yeah. have a clue. They don't have a clue about the new normal. He mocks the idea of giants when John oh, raises them. I love that them. moment. Giants. Yeah, he's just like, they have giants, giants. <laughs> and then he looks around and no one is laughing. Right. He is completely out of his yeah. element. John is more in his element than right. he's ever been before, right? Have you ever been beyond the wall, sir? The confidence yeah. he has to call him out right. here, right? Of course. I commanded the city watch of King's Landing, boy. Right. And now you're here. Right. Must not have been very good at your job. Part of John's new normal is having the confidence to say something like that, which I love. Not short on confidence at all. Now or really ever since episode one, Danny. No, she's feeling it. Uh, her new normal, big dragons. They're big now. They're not pets. They're willful. Uh, you can't just order them around like a dog. It's a relationship. And when Danny tries to take, uh, you know, a piece of meat away from Drogon, 
uh, you know, that Rhaegal and Viserion were, were fighting over, it's just he snaps her and it looks dangerous. And Jorah tries to say, you know, like they're dragons, Khaleesi, you can, they can never be tamed, not even by their mother. P.S. Jorah, don't lecture the mother of dragons about dragons. Just, just first, you might be right, but just don't do he it. He just, he can't help himself. It is the first time, though, that she looks afraid. It's the first time that we see fear in her right. eyes when she's with them. She's like, oh, whoa, whoa. And then um, I just love the fact that she's so comfortable in her role now as essentially manager of this vast kind of like shambling army um, that she's like laying the smack down when she finds Dario and Grey Worm <laughs> gambling, gambling, she says when she hears that that's what they're doing. Um, meanwhile, things are so normal that Dario is uh, gathering wildflowers and giving them to Lovely her. Lovely gesture. I think so. I think this is a just a great moment for his character yeah. and for how we think about him because initially, right, you think, okay, he's trying to get out of the doghouse. Right, right, he's right. a flirt. Right. He can't help himself. Right. He's making a mood. Right. He's being kind of like cheesy and cute. Yeah, yeah. But he's actually teaching her something valuable yes. about what the new normal has to be to right. survive, right? He says, I need to speak to you about something important, a matter of strategy. And you're like, <laughs> But then he hands her a dusk rose and then a couple more flowers. And he's going through what purpose they serve, what right. function they serve in this part of the world. And he says to her, you have to know a place to rule it. It's plants, it's roads, it's people. Dusk rose eases fever. Everyone in Marine knows that, especially the slaves who have to make the tea. If you want them to follow you, yeah. you have to become a part of their world. This is great advice, yeah. not necessarily advice that Danny successfully follows, right? Her new normal is reinforced. It's confirmed when they come across the first right. mounted slave, right? How many, how many are there? How many miles? Right. Hundreds of these. Hundreds of these ahead of her. 163? Right. 163, right? Yeah. Embarrassed enough. We'll take them down. You don't need to see this. And she says, I will see each and every one of their faces. If yeah. there was a moment for Danny, for Dario, for Jorah, for people watching this show and reading these books for hours on end, where we thought she might be about to head west, this is when we know that we're no. in Slaver's Bay for the long haul because she sees that and her conviction is solidified. Yeah. There is a problem here and she thinks she's the one right. to There's solve it. There's a righteousness it. to her, which sets her apart from a lot of the other contestants for the throne in, in the way that uh, that righteousness is intoxicating to the people around her. You know, they, 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 they get a buzz off of it. Back in Westeros... Speaking I, of righteous. <laughs> I think perhaps my favorite road buddy duo here, Arya and the Hound. It's interesting here what the normal is because the normal is murder and mayhem and bloodshed. Yes. Um, you know, they and they're so good at sparring with each other, like already. Uh, the Hound says, well, little lady wants a pony. <laughs> she goes, little lady wants away from your stench. Uh <laughs> The more things change. I often think about how bad they all must smell. Forget you, like, oh my god! It's got to be absolutely horrendous. Disgusting. And as they're as they're kind of riding along, you, their their conversation is just all about murdering. What a conversation, by the way, to have with like a young girl. And you know, Arya's new normal is, I want vengeance, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And then she sees Polliver, you know, and she's she's saying, "That's Polliver. I know him." He's got my sword. Look, he's wearing it right there. That's Needle. He killed my friend Lamy. 
And then the hound goes, what the fuck's a lami? <laughs> and it's such a great, like almost, a, you know, like a Mexican standoff, a cowboy movie moment when they get in there and just the hound spoiling for a fight. He wanted maybe to avoid it, but as soon as he gets in there, it's that same kind of uh, dynamic that happened when uh, he was in the in the bar, in the tavern with Braun right before the Battle of the Blackwater. Okay, someone right. is going to die. And he says, uh, you know, the Polliver says, you know, we trade you one of our little chickens for yours. Give us a go at your little friend. What a, what a gross, what a charming a man. fucking monster. And then the hound, when the hound gets in this mood, he just wants to get to it. He says, you're a talker. Listening to talkers makes me thirsty. Drinks his ale. Just chugs yeah. it, guzzles and, it. And hungry. I think I'll take two chickens. <laughs> and Polliver says, you, you don't seem to understand the situation. I understand that if any more words come out of your cunt mouth, I'm going to have to eat every fucking chicken in this room. Oh, my God. What and a Polliver, legend. You live your life for the king. You're going to die for some chickens? Someone is. Well, incredible moment. Yeah. There's the real pregnant pause. Yeah. Flip the table. They start fighting. Arya's like lurking a little bit, waiting. Because the Hound shows actually interesting loyalty to her there. He does. Right? On the one hand, he's just repulsed by these people. Didn't want to be in this situation in the first place. He's hangry. Right. Like, you know, needs a Snickers. Yeah. Arya wants revenge, but she's also like, hey, maybe I can get to two for one here. Right. Maybe they'll kill the Hound. She's not. But right. then you see it. It's fascinating to watch. A bit of a protective instinct right. kicks in. Oh, do I help him out? Right? right. And before long, she's in there. She's grabbing a sword, plunging it through some dude's stomach after the hound pulls that, like, plunge Ugh. your skull into the eye socket move a few times. And then Arya gets to Polliver. A great move, like a yeah. reach around. That, that, and that shows you that's only, it's very chilling that, you know, here's, she's, been thinking about this. Oh, yeah. It's not like she's just going to run him through. No, she wants Every to bring him. Every night before she goes to sleep. She wants to bring him down in the same way that Lamy was hurt. So Cuts he'd be in the, the knee same tendon. exact position. Something wrong with your leg, boy? <laughs> Repeats verbatim what Polliver said to Lamy. And then at the end, puts the needle right under his chin. There's that moment of recognition where he understands there's that glimmer of recognition of, oh, I, I think I know what this is about. And then it's over. Wow. The show does a very, very effective job of pushing her as far as it possibly right. can without actually letting her fall over yeah. the cliff into unredeemable, soulless monster territory right. because of exactly what you just said, which is she's thought about this a lot. Right. She has intent. There's a reason. There's something driving these decisions. It's not just bloodlust. Right. It is, there's a purpose right. propelling her rage. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. While some blades, like Arya's, are fine and little, perfect for teeth picking, some are precious. Yes. Rarer than gemstones. More deadly than anything but dragon glass. Maybe dragon fire? Hmm, could be. This episode, Two Swords, gets its name from such a blade. Ice, the absurdly large. Absurdly large ancestral Stark sword, which Tywin had melted down into two blades for his own family. 
This is not just a routine power move. This is a massive, massive gain for the Lannisters. So let's assemble the Conclave and head to the Citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about Valerian Steel. Valerian Steel. The freehold of Valeria was known primarily for two things. Dragons and Valerian Steel. Produced using advanced... Magical metallurgical techniques, Valerian steel is markedly more durable and lighter than normal steel. A Valerian steel weapon can hold its edge despite heavy use for years, even centuries, thousands of years perhaps. It's as close to indestructible as as any substance in this world gets. The metal has a dark, smoky appearance. You can you can tell a Valerian steel blade just by looking at it um, with these kind of like visible ripples going through it. And that's the result of the metal being folded back onto itself thousands and thousands and thousands of times during the forging process. Um, these weapons first came into Westeros around 326 BC. So we're talking about 600 years um, before the show, before the events of the show, when... Um, Valeria first annexed the island of Dragonstone and their goods started to kind of seep into the kingdom. Um, Valeria always treated the the process of creating Valerian steel as essentially a state secret. So when the doom struck, that knowledge was lost. Only 227 Valerian steel weapons made their way into Westeros pre-doom. In the books, we know the whereabouts of 10 of these. In the show, considerably less. There's John's Longclaw, uh, formerly the Houseblade of the Mormonts. Uh, there's Oathkeeper and Widow's Whale. Those are the blades forged from ice. There's House Tarly's Heartsbane. And there's the Valerian Steel Dagger, which was uh, carried by the assassin that tried to kill Bran. By the way, like, what a power move to be like, I'm going to give this throwaway assassin a priceless weapon. That is baller, whoever did that. There's also seven confirmed Valerian steel weapons whose whereabouts are unknown. There is Blackfire, the, the legendary sword of Aegon, the Targaryen conqueror of Westeros. It was carried by all the Targaryen kings up until Aegon IV, the unworthy. He gave it to his bastard son, Daemon Blackfire, and Daemon died at the Battle of Redgrass Field, which was the decisive battle of the first Blackfire Rebellion. His sword disappeared after that. We don't know where it is. There is Bright Roar, the House Lannister sword. I'll tell you about that in a second. There is Dark Sister, the sword wielded by Visenya Targaryen, the sister wife of Aegon. Um, it was last known to be in the possession of Brynden Bloodraven Rivers, a.k.i. the Three-Eyed Crow. That's a spoiler for future seasons. Uh, could he have taken it with him north of the wall? No one knows. Lamentation, the ancestral sword of House Royce, uh, who we know as Bronze Yon and Waymar Royce of the... Uh, the first episode, the haughty lord who dies by White Walkers in the first episode. Good thing we're not children. Yes, exactly. That sword was lost during the Dance of Dragons Civil War. Orphan Maker, great name. The ancestral sword of House Roxton. <laughs> That's a name Joffrey would use. Wow. Come on. Truth, uh, a Valerian steel sword, um, which is in Essos, carried by Moreto Roguer and Vigilance, the ancestral sword of House Hightower. Because of the quality and rarity of Valerian steel, um, the weapons became an important status symbol in Westeros. If your house had one of these, you were set. I mean, you were set. This is something to brag about. And it's a status symbol that the Lannisters, for all their wealth, lacked. And Tywin felt this uh, acutely. This explains his haste to melt down the Stark family sword ice. I mentioned Bright Roar. 
The Lannister family sword was lost when King Tommen II Lannister sailed on an expedition to the ruins of Valeria right after the, this was shortly after the doom. Uh, guess what? He went and he never returned. He had the sword with him. Whoops. They had only owned it for about a hundred years. That sucks. And since then, the Lions of Lannister have been trying to beg, borrow, steal, whatever they can do to get another one. Tywin's youngest brother, Jerrion, who was kind of like the uh, poor impulse control uh, Lannister, uh, he disappeared after setting off of Valeria in search of Bright Roar. Um, all of which explains, you know, why Tywin had to have one of these. And it's a perfect metaphor for the Lannister's seemingly total annihilation of the Starks to melt down their ancestral sword and, and turn it into their two swords. So, after using it to kill the head of the house. It, brutal. <laughs> so how is Valerian steel made? I mean, this is really the key question, especially since uh, it's one of only two materials known to that can kill White Walkers. Uh, we may never know, honestly. Uh, there is some good speculation that dragon fire was an important part of the process. I guess this would explain why uh, Walkers are vulnerable to the metal. Uh, that could be. If so, does that mean Danny and her pets could produce more? I don't think so. The Targaryens had dragons for hundreds of years after the Doom, and they were never able to make more Valerian steel. Most likely, the process has been lost. One of the things that I love, one of the small details I love about these two swords is that, you know, on the show, they're gold, and that makes sense because we right. associate gold with the Lannisters. But in the books, Tywin is trying to dye them red, yeah. right? The other color of the house. And they end up like black and red ripples yeah. throughout the sword. And it ends up actually having a cool effect, but it's not the desired effect. And it's like, what happened there? The metal was basically rejecting yeah. Tywin's intent to yep. take it over. And that's at least always how I kind of interpreted that or chose to interpret that. And I love the idea that an object has will has yeah. intention has agency a power of its own and these are these are magical forces and that's why they're gonna have such a role to play in the story one of the saddest moments in the books is when um widow's whale is kind of unveiled this is spoiler for next episode but unveiled at the wedding reception given to king joffrey and sansa recognizes the metal right away she goes oh what's what sort is that where'd that come from she she understands that that was ice and ice is gone. Tough. All right. Jason? Yes. I may be a fool, but I'm a living fool thanks to you. So let's celebrate life by heading to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven. Let's share seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, Lightning Round Style. I love when Shay offers uh, Sansa pigeon pie. Pigeon pie? No, thank you, because it's it's foreshadowing. The pigeon pie to come. This pie is dry. Number two. Cool little moment during John's mini trial when, you know, Eamon, yeah. Maester Eamon, has come to John's defenses, as he so often has and will. And Thorne, he's not happy. He's pissed, right? This was his moment to take out John. And he says, you always know when a man is telling the truth. This is what he says to Eamon when Eamon's like, eh, he was honest with us. Right. How did you acquire this magical power? What does Eamon say? Yeah. I grew up in King's Landing. Love it. Love it. What a place. What a special place. Number yeah, three. A special uh, mention for the hound. What the fuck's a lami? Look <laughs> at the hound. I, I, it's, it's amazing that a guy who your first kind of meeting with him is him killing a young boy. 
I now feel warmth in my heart for him. Number four, Tywin. I don't expect to see The Rock again before I die. Good instinct, bro. Uncharacteristically impatient. You could say that this it's this feeling that's kind of blinded him to a lot of the things going on. Um, Ilaria Sand dropping some truth when, uh, you know, Oliver says, uh, my lady. She goes, I am not a lady. Oh, a term of courtesy in this establishment. A lie anywhere. Why not use the right words? I'm a bastard. She's a whore. Love that. And just the way she says it, too. I'm a bastard. She really, like, lets it go. It's cool because it's, like, it's kind of shades of Tyrion with Jon in yeah. season one, you know, bastard, bastard. Yeah. Like, don't, you know, let them use it against you. I'm absolutely a bastard. Own it. Number six. Not the best exactly, but Dantos. You're drunk. Back in our lives. I am drunk. He says to Sansa after just creeping up on her. God's one. She just wanted to be left alone, guys. I can never repay you. You gave me your life, but this is worth more than my life. It belonged to my mother and her mother before her. Take it, wear it. Let my name have one more moment in the sun before it disappears from the world. Spoiler alert, guys. He is giving her the necklace that will carry the poison that kills Joffrey in the very next episode. What an an amazing plot, by the way, because at no point... Are any of the true murderers, who we will not reveal now, are their hands sullied by this stuff? Like, if anyone gets caught with this, it's Sansa. And what a perfect fall person. So who do we see looking at necklaces earlier in the episode? Someone. Mm. Cersei thanking Kyburn for his help with other matters as he's leaving. Mm. What's up with that? What's up with that? Some moon tea and something, you know. Sure seems like it. Laying with that pale... Thin Lancel Lannister still, you think? He's on his sick bed, man. Yeah. What's she up to? Your grace, of course. Kyburn. He's not even a maester. He doesn't even have his chain. <laughs> Jason, I have a question for yes. you. Yes. Would you rather have two balls or one brain? Ooh, it's very t- uh I think one well, I guess one brain. I'm it's like you can't live without a brain. <laughs> Yellow balls. I like how seriously you took that. You really gave it some thought. Well, you know, I ask because each episode, Mm -hmm. we are going to honor the person who played the game, advanced his or her cause in some tangible way, or frankly was just completely awesome. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse has both balls and brains in abundance and a lot of charisma, too. The winner is... Oberyn Martell, the Red Viper of Dawn. What an intro. One of my favorite characters from the books. Uh, the Red Viper of Dawn comes into our life throwing high heat. You know, relations with Westeros' southernmost region have been dicey pretty much throughout history. It took 187 years after Aegon's conquest for Dorne to be fully integrated into the realm. I'll get into that later. Dorne's particular history, yada, yada, yada. Suffice to say, the brutal murder of Elia Martell and her children during the Lannister sack of King's Landing only exacerbated what has been historically a fraught relationship. To make matters worse, the Martells have had a long-running feud with the Tyrells of the Reach, a.k.a. the family who is now sharing power with the Lannisters. Not a great match. Uh Um, And you understand why Prince Oberyn would want to come to the capital and get a look at this firsthand. Elia Martell... Oberyn's sister 
they were very close, incredibly close relationship. And her murder is a crime that has gone unanswered for 20 years. Um, really a stain on Dorn's honor. And Oberyn is here to make it whole. And also to sample the capital's best flesh markets. <laughs> See, this is how they roll in Dorne. They're exceedingly dangerous, but also like they're down for a good time. Prince Oberyn is, he's a humanist. He enjoys pleasure. He's a polymath. He's really a poly everything. Life is short, particularly brutal. You can die at any time. Why cut yourself off from something pleasurable because of labels or social convention? That's how Oberyn lives his life. He's tried everything at least once, this guy. He's traveled extensively in Essos, where he worked as a mercenary for the Second Sons, among other companies. He learned about rare poisons over there. He got his uh, name for his penchant for applying exotic toxins to the edge of his weapons. Do not get scratched by one of his blades. He studied at the Citadel for a while, even got a couple of chains forged. He is just an do-everything kind of guy. little chat to have between Tyrion and Oberyn after the, the introductions. This is and how you do exposition, by the way. This is a almost flawless yeah. scene because— This is how you do it. We get the entire backstory yep. in one handy paragraph about why this man is here, what the source of his anger and vengeance and hatred is, what happened between these families, how— it has been handled or yep. not, handle, not, handled, not handled and what he intends to do about it. Care to recite this for us? Sure. Uh, you know, he's looking down at, at Tyrion and he says, <clears throat> The last time I was in the capital was many years ago. Another wedding. My sister Elia and Rhaegar Targaryen, the last dragon. My sister loved him. She bore his children, swaddled them, rubbed them, fed them at her own breast. Elia wouldn't let the wet nurse touch them and beautiful, noble, Rhaegar Targaryen left her for another woman. Who was that, by the way? Mm. That started a war, and the war ended right here when your father's army took the city. They butchered those children, my nephew and niece, carved them up, wrapped them in Lannister cloaks, and my sister, you know what they did to her? Tyrion doesn't respond. I'm asking you a question. Grabs his chin. Yes. Points it up at him. I've heard rumors. Tyrion Tyrion swats the hand away. So have I. The one I keep hearing is that Gregor Clegane, the mountain, raped Elia and split her in half with his greatsword. I wasn't there, Tyrion says. I don't know. He knows, by the way. If the mountain killed my sister, your father gave the order. Tell your father I'm here and tell him the Lannisters aren't the only ones who pay their debts. Yeah. Incredible. Welcome to the show, buddy. Welcome to our hearts. That's how you make an entrance. Love it. Fan favorite. Certainly a favorite here at Binge Mode. Yes. All right, guys. Someone forgot to write down all of our great deeds, so we will just have to do this 29 more times. <laughs> we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time. when We will be discussing Season 4, Episode 2, The Lion and the Rose. I love a wedding! I love a wedding. Always <laughs> perfectly seamless, never I a dull a affair. Never a dull affair. Until then, guys, remember. Man's got to have a code. A ponderous podcast, my lord hand. Sixty episodes, much too much too many for two people to <laughs> to do.